Welcome to Mama Doesn't Tell Lies. It's the podcast series that's uplifting and real and gives you the truth bombs that you can handle while talking parenthood. Spawned from a desire to know more while also wishing that someone who had done it all before had shared their stories. Each episode, we talk about something true and something real. This mama here, along with my guest hosts each episode, Don't Tell Lies. So if you're a parent, want to be a parent, or just appreciate a giggle, strap yourself in for the ride and let's do it. Well, we're back again, another episode of Mama Doesn't Tell Lies. And today I am talking to someone who's across the other side of Australia. She's based in Perth. Her name is Debbie and she's an old, old, old friend of mine. Oh my goodness, we knew each other when we were infants, I swear. Maybe in our 20s, but like it feels like we were infants back then. Welcome to Mama Doesn't Tell Lies, Deb. Thank you, Chloe. It was a different lifetime then. It was a different lifetime. We were living in the Caribbean. We had beaches and bars as opposed to nappies and nighttime routines. Oh, I'd just love to go back there even just for a day without the responsibilities we have. But we'll get into all of that. First questions first, as we always do. You are a mother of one beautiful son called Raf, and you've got another child on the way. How many weeks are you currently? Yep, currently 22 weeks. Amazing. And do you know what you're having? A brother for Raphael. So we'll have, I'm a boy mom, hashtag boy mom. What do you wish that someone had told you before you came on the parenting ride? From the perspective of my situation, I wish someone, so I, I actually have a sort of profound answer and then I have a practical answer. So my profound answer is, I wish someone had told me I would come out of this as an Amazon warrior princess who had built more resilience than I could have ever imagined possible. That speaks to the kind of experience I've had. Um, And the practical advice is, I wish someone would have told me how much water you retain after you give birth. I was not prepared (laughs) for that puffiness. Ain't that the truth? Profound first. You are an Amazon warrior princess through the journey, and I'm using that word, the journey that you have had to become a parent. So before you even became a parent to Raphael, uh, you went through quite a process. How long had you and your husband been together before you had Raph? So we've been together seven years uh, and we've been married for five years. Quite an amount of time. And your path to becoming a mum was not easy, was it? It was definitely not easy. So when you decided that you wanted to have children. How long How long into your marriage was that? Basically, we got married in January 2011. I went off the pill in February and there was some planning involved. I was climbing the retail corporate ladder. So in the period of two years, I went from a assistant store manager to a regional store manager, which was huge in, you know, in my career that I didn't anticipate. And that is what stopped the conception happening right away, much to our disadvantage when we actually looked at how long it had been that we'd not been using protection and had not accidentally gotten pregnant. And so then when you decided to make the conscious effort to go, no, this is happening, uh, you did fall pregnant along the way. Was that naturally or through IVF? Mm, So we started to explore, we had began our journey into IVF in September 2014. And on our first cycle, we successfully fell pregnant. So that was amazing. Bells and whistles, everything was incredible. And then unfortunately at 16 weeks, my I had a spontaneous rupture of membranes. We tried to preserve the pregnancy, but ultimately we were given 
uh, the sad statistic that our, our child, if we were to pursue the pregnancy, only had a 10% chance of leading a normal life. And wow, that's so tough. we had to, we made a difficult decision to terminate the pregnancy at that time. The emotion that goes with that, obviously, you know, when you long for something and you go down the path of IVF and then you have to terminate a pregnancy at that stage, that's pretty heartbreaking and harrowing. I guess, how did you handle that emotionally? It was certainly a very challenging bump to overcome. We probably hibernated. Mm-hmm. And I think that our, you know, we, we sort of shut everyone out. The, it happened around Christmas. It was a very difficult Christmas. My sister-in-law had two kids. It was really difficult being around the dream and having just terminated ours. Uh, so it, it took a long time. I'm obviously grateful that, you know, our relationship was at a point that we were, you know, together and strong enough. And, you know, I mean, by together, I mean, we were you know, going for this goal together. And we were so set on the same page that it, you know, helped us support each other. But that that moment began a really dark time, very lonely time where it was just nose to the grindstone. So after that, I gave up my career. I stepped down from my regional sales manager position into a working from home customer service role. So it was literally overnight, everything changed. We were 100% dedicated to our IVF journey. And that then continued for three years. And in that three-year period, how many pregnancies did you? Uh, None. So up until Raphael. So we went from the first cycle, we were pregnant. And then we went through, Raphael was our fifth IVF cycle. So I did five rounds of hormone injections, five egg retrievals, um, which involves anesthesia, I did two laparoscopies to remove endometriosis. Um, it was, yeah, a mission. Now, you're a very resilient person. You lost your mum when you are in your 20s, and I remember that very deeply. And, and having what we should also say is that you, if anyone has picked up, the accent, you're not an Australian by birth. You're married to an Australian, but you're a Canadian by birth. So you don't have that network of your family and friends around you. You've got your husband's family and friends and obviously your work friends, your people that you've made in your community. But did at any point did you go, screw this, we're going back to Canada? I think had I had my mum around still, it would have been a different story. But it was actually the fact that my mum wasn't around and you know, I, I couldn't go running home to my mom. My husband's parents are so supportive. My in-laws are incredible. And so that really helped. Like it really helped having their support through the whole crisis situation. Wow. And so you guess, I guess you just had to dig deep and go, this is what we want. And this is my sole focus. Uh, and, and now we talked about before we recorded this about the pressure in the IVF room and the the stares you get. And this is a really common thing from people I know that have spoken to IVF. There's that resting bitch face that everyone has in the IVF room, apparently. What did you feel in that, in that instance, in that scenario? I've read a lot of Brené Brown and I've listened to a lot of Brené Brown and she does a lot of work on shame. When I think about that now, all I can see is how much shame myself and the other women in that room carried with us. Um, it's so shameful to not be able to do what your body is meant to be designed to do. And be sitting in that room with sometimes 20 or 30 other women who are in the same position, you would think that would be comforting. Unifying? Unifying, maybe? Yeah, like you would think that there would be some sort of, I, I honestly, out of the six years that I spent going to the same fertility clinic, I had a conversation 
with perhaps two or three women in six years. It's heartbreaking for everyone that's in there. And it's more heartbreaking that we can't find our way to each other through our shame. Our shame armor is so thick in that situation that it, it becomes impenetrable. Not to get deep, but that is seriously deep stuff that and you make a good point. I know a lot of the things we focus on in Mama Does and Tell Lies is about finding your people and finding your community in the thing that bonds you and, and unites you through your shared interests or your shared experience. And it seems almost counterintuitive that there isn't more support in that network. But I guess you can't really celebrate each other's wins when it's something that you long for. I think that has to have a lot to do with it. Sitting you know, amongst those women, you don't know... You know, there's no um, scorecard above each person's head. So you don't know if that person is in there for pregnancy monitoring. You don't know if that person is sitting there waiting for their first consultation. You don't know if that person is sitting there on their 10th round of IVF. And no matter what stage you're at, it's all raw. Then that sort of shame, the way that we're meant to break through that is through vulnerability. But somehow that room doesn't promote vulnerability. And did you find that that feeling was then echoed across the other parts of your life when you bunkered down or could you disassociate that moment in time from the rest of your life? While we were in the IVF spiral, it was, that was just this cyclical carousel of hope and disappointment, hope and disappointment. And that's really hard to share with anyone. So I, you know, I had a couple of Uh, good friends that I relied on. I had my in-laws that I relied on. Yeah, but it was a very small circle that was involved. So when the good news comes through that you have fallen pregnant Mm -hmm. and you have had to terminate another child due to things, how, how were you in those first sort of 16 weeks of pregnancy? I would imagine it would be pretty tough. Even as I sit here, currently 22 weeks pregnant, I am still... I'm still anxious. Um, you know, I, I have a mantra and I say to myself, I'm having a healthy pregnancy. I will have a healthy baby. I spend my day waiting to feel him kick and, you know, gain comfort from that. Um, but yeah, through both of my pregnancies, I'm just counting down to 24 weeks, counting down to viable to get to that safe zone. It's, it is anxiety ridden. And it's that way for any woman, regardless you know, whether you've, you need to hit that milestone, but it is, it takes a a brute force mind power to capture those moments of enjoyment because there are moments, there should, there are and should be moments of enjoyment in this process. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a waiting game that you're right. There's anxiety with every judgment. There's feelings of happiness. There's feelings of fear, all those things that you go through. And no one really ever explains that to you. And that was one of the reasons why I started Mums and Tell Lies. It was because there wasn't enough discussion about the process. It was, oh, you got married. Are you having a baby soon? Or, oh, you got married or you've got a, and you've got a baby. Are you going to have another baby soon? There's no, hey, I had a really challenging labour. Or has anyone ever talked to you about the process and the waiting game and all of those things? No one talks about it enough. And I wish in my experience at least, that someone had spoken to me a bit more freely and liberally about their experience. And there's people, I remember telling someone about my labour, which was very challenging, and someone like banged me and went, you can't tell her that because she's pregnant now and she doesn't want to hear it. Do you want to hear about it? And some women say, yes, some go, no, I'm going to bury my head in the sand. Have you been forthcoming with your friends around you about how, how it took to get your babies? 
after Raphael was born, it was, it, that was a liberating moment. So that sort of opened the doors for, you know, freedom of information. Um, because I had, I had beaten the shame cycle and I had, um, you know, overcome the infertility and conception hurdle. So yes, post, post Raphael arriving, I'm so much more authentic around my experience and it's, it feels so much better to talk about it without shame. And, um, because what shame is there in it? This is my experience. This is what I've gone through just because it's a bit harder or different than what some other people might go through doesn't mean it's not something I can share. Absolutely. And you need to, um, absorb it and just be present, which is wonderful. Now, what we haven't alluded to yet is the fact that you are pregnant with your second baby. Is this an IVF child? Funny, funny story. After Raphael came into the world and we had celebrated and uh, my husband and I got around to talking about a second child, which we both wanted, uh, we put down a stipulation because we'd already been through so much. Um, and we agreed that we would go through three more cycles of IVF because my, my eggs and embryos never froze well. So every time I do a cycle, I have to do the full cycle. So just before Christmas, uh, we had completed one out of the two frozen embryos from our third cycle following Raphael's birth. And we got a negative pregnancy test just before Christmas. So we had one more embryo frozen and we agreed, you know, let's just get through Christmas. We'll enjoy ourselves. Um, and then we'll plan for the next embryo in February. And sometime in January, I'm waiting for my cycle to start. Um, I had seen my acupuncturist and, you know, they follow your cycle based on um, supporting the uterus or supporting cleansing or whatever's happening. And he said, oh, okay, well, your, your cycle hasn't started yet. So if we're not there by Wednesday, maybe do a pregnancy test. And I thought, Benny, come on. Anyway, so that Thursday I held off and I woke up in the morning and I did a pregnancy test and it was six in the morning or something. Uh, and I ran upstairs and shoved it in my husband's face because it was positive. So after 10 cycles being at the brink of giving up, we fell pregnant naturally. It's amazing what the body can do, hey? So everybody tells you that. Um, you know, every time I speak about infertility and IVF and people say, oh, you know, you always hear stories about people falling pregnant naturally. And it frustrates me a little bit because I have had a, a sc another scary t statistic that this is a 1% chance. I had, we had a 1% chance of falling pregnant naturally. So I never believed it would happen. You must have really wanted that baby and you've got it and it's come, come to you. The, the universe boy. through in the end. But then the universe decided to just throw another curveball at you and your work situation has changed, which again probably doesn't add it doesn't help with the anxiety of um, carrying the second child. What happened? You know, I, I had worked for the same company for nine years. Um, they supported me beautifully through the whole IVF situation. And, but just things being what they are, uh, the position that I had settled into was made redundant. And so here I find myself having at this stage, knock on wood, won my infertility battles. And now I am a unemployed woman who is almost six months pregnant trying to find a job during COVID. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, this just, it just brings, I've been on a journey before and this is just now going to, I now have to enter this next journey of discovering 
discovery and searching and finding the next thing. So life doesn't just let you off when the ride's over it. Uh, you have to get back on the next one. <laughs> it certainly does. And it, the good fortune that some have is hard to take when you hear stories like that. But you are a positive person, obviously, because you've got a smile on your face as we record this um, over Zoom. But it would be hard to keep your positivity through that without the support of a good husband in this or a good partner and some good friends. So I presume that the COVID situation hasn't impacted your husband's work too much. I hope your husband's an old friend of mine. I really hope. Yeah. Luckily he's um, been employed throughout and just working from home. So he's yeah just started back face to face today. So we're very lucky in WA to um, you know, have some of our restrictions a little bit. Not like yes, here in Victoria. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but there is an upside there. So, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, my family has always been a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And that is, that's a, a difficult sentence to swallow when you've traveled, uh, when, you know, traveling the road I've traveled, it does give, it gives me strength and it gives me belief that, you know, every challenge that has come that has arisen so far, losing my mom, going through years of infertility, losing my job is just another bump in the road. Um, and I'm excited to see what the next high will be because it will it will arrive. Well, more importantly, have you settled on a name yet? Oh, my goodness. It was hard enough naming one boy. Never mind two. Um, absolutely not. No, we're still in a negotiation. Yeah, I would imagine that your traditional Italian Australian husband would want to see a traditional Italian name passed along, and he's pretty pushy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm certainly not able to walk over him in this in this decision. It's, it's Mate, you have gone. You have gone through hell and back to get this child. I think that you should um, pull out your ace and say it's all on you for this situation. But, hey, maybe you could just get Raphael to uh, name his brother. <laughs> That's a good idea. It might work better. <laughs> exactly. Um, so in your birth, um, do you have a comfortable birth last time or is there some anxiety and fear around that? Like I know lots of mothers. Um, I had a cesarean last time. So the actually what the problem that occurred in the first pregnancy, which I lost, was um, had to do with a um, procedure that I had on my cervix in my 20s. Um, so I actually had a, um, oh, I forget what this term is now. Um, anyway, but it basically meant that my cervix didn't work. And that's why the membrane ruptured. So also had to go through another procedure during RAF's pregnancy. So I had to have a stitch, which basically lassos your cervix shut. I hope this is okay for airplay. Sure. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Um, yeah, all, all, there's no lie. It's happening right now. Yeah. Um, so that because of that situation, I had to have a cesarean in order like, to preserve the cervix to have another, to support another pregnancy. So, but I loved my cesarean in the first time around. Admittedly, I was petrified when I thought about childbirth, um, probably because of all the stories that you hear. And so, yeah, cesarean just was something I had to do, but it was also something I can control. So you set the date, you know everything, you know what to expect going into it. It's a step-by-step -step scenario. So of course it's major surgery. Of course there's recovery afterwards, but I felt very comfortable with that. So I feel very comfortable going into my second cesarean. 
Amazing. Uh, well, you've shared quite the um, story and it sounds like uh, you've got a, a few more hurdles to jump ahead of you and then hopefully uh, you'll have two beautiful boys playing at home and, and, and maybe it's time to give yourself a bit of a break <laughs> after that with two <laughs> young boys at home because that's so easy to do. And that's the other thing. People don't talk about the toddler time, the tantrums, all those things, but that's, um, we can save that for a whole other world of chats. Is there a piece of knowledge that you would personally pass on to someone now having gone through the mammoth journey that you've gone through? Yeah, so... Again, I have a profound piece of advice and I have a practical piece of advice. Um, I think it's just important to recognize that every journey to motherhood takes a different path. You can get pregnant by accident. You can get pregnant the first time you try. You know, you could be on your third miscarriage. You could be going through your fifth round of IVF. So I just think my message to women wanting to become pregnant or who are pregnant is just to be gentle with yourself and be gentle with the women that you love when it comes to emerging into motherhood because it's certainly not the same for everyone. And we just need space for more authenticity and more acceptance and more love. So take on the profound. From a practical point of view, prepare yourself for how difficult it is to get your child to sleep and get your child to eat. I was not prepared for that. I don't know if anyone is. It's the, it's the shit show, as I call it, trying to get a child who on Tuesday loves macaroni and cheese and on Wednesday goes, no, yuck, I'm not going to eat this or I'm not going to bed or any of those things. We do forget sometimes that they are human beings as well and they aren't robots that follow the rules and they like to be independent and I often find myself forgetting that, that I am a bit of a control freak in my professional life. And I struggle when I can't control the situation. I'm like, but I'm so, I could do this. This is not, this is shit. (laughs) Yeah, I have, I have found what I am learning through the process is that if I find myself struggling in these situations, I'm probably not making it fun for him. So that's, you know. We play hide and seek, seek with hands and feet when we're trying to get dressed and I'm, I'm finding other ways to con him into eating and going to sleep. So we'll get there. But I, I do find the more fun you try to have, the easier it is. Isn't that, that's an antidote for life. The more fun you have, the easier it is. Sometimes Amen. life isn't fun at all, but if you can inject a little bit of fun somehow, then uh, it puts a smile on your face. And that's what we've all learned through the last couple of weeks. And um, I hope you have some fun in these next couple of months when you're just a mother of one um, and you don't have two babies to deal with or three babies in the case of your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We have done the abridged version today because I'm sure we could sit over a cup of tea and discuss for hours on end the highs and bumps in the road that you faced but we wish you all the best for your pregnancy and and your wise word around the shame armor um, i'm definitely going to be researching that and link up to Bernoba discussions around that that sounds like something that everyone should have to read listen to whichever your preference is absolutely thank you so much for having me it was great being on the show um as always you can uh hit subscribe on your podcasts and uh more details will be up on the website thank you very much deb for joining us Thanks, Chloe. You've been listening to Mama Doesn't Tell Lies, the podcast sharing nothing but realness about parenting and kiddlywinks. Produced and hosted by me, Chloe Jeffers. True stories by those willing to share.